and go. It's the State of Combat Podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell, coming back at you with the Mixed Martial Arts Edition. It's early in the week. It's a big week for the sport, and I am fired up to be back with you. Of course, I'm sponsored by that unmistakable, untraceable performance enhancing audio. If I sound washy, guys, it's because it's true, all right? Six days in Vegas for Canelo Jacobs. I'm still on the West Coast getting some business done in L.A., my city. But you know I still had to make some time to bring the pain, if you will, to bang audio style. Don't have any other styles in mind on that one, please. Thank you. No more dick pills, right? No more whatsoever, Johnny Bones Jones. Uh, what do we got going on today? We got a great show for you. Looking back at the week that was UFC Ottawa. But looking forward to a loaded friggin' weekend when you're talking about UFC 237 in Brazil. Could be the last stand for a number of top legendary Brazilian names. That could be the last stand for Charweight champion Rosnama Yunus, for all we know. We're going to find that out. Guys, a loaded Bellator 221 card. We're talking about the next step in that welterweight Grand Prix. And that's just the beginning. We got a little... Pitbull Chandler, we got a lot going on there. And don't forget, the new season of PFL, the Professional Fighters League, starts this Thursday, ESPN2, and we will be chatting with announcer, Hall of Famer, the legend, the man himself, Randy, the natural couture. So it's a loaded show. I think Mikey Mormile is at the uh, guy. No, he's not at the doctor. Excuse me, at the doctor. Our producer will not be with us today. But you know my co-host, he likes pain. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> wow, that was awkward. <clears throat> All right, his name is Brandon Wise, and good Lord, people, if you are not following this man on Instagram, I don't know his Instagram handle, but what is happening here, Brando? We're supposed to be getting ready for a sparring match. I'm traveling, I'm washed, I'm eating ice cream for breakfast, and you are suddenly like shedding 35 pounds and sending me these videos of you like at first making love to the bag and then just destroying it. I'm just laughing every time you tell me when you go on these trips because it's always something else that you should not be eating. And today it's ice cream from the gas station. Bro, <laughs> like, I'm sick. Oh, okay, man. I'm sick. I slept like 17 hours in a row, but I'm back. I'm ready. All right. Yeah, I cheated a little bit today. I just had a little bag of M&M's, so I'm, I'm falling off the train with you a little bit. But, you know, I've been trying to get back in the gym. I was there five days last week. I took yesterday off and I'm probably going to take today off too but you know getting the hand speed ready man i need to i need to be quick as you as you keep telling me you're going to try to get to 215 that seems more and more like a pipe dream every day (laughs) oh man i gotta turn that corner and stay there it's time when you've done uh i think i'm on day nine total on the road right now but um i don't see how people do it i also see how people travel and stay fit I guess there's a discipline involved there. I'm exhausted and washed the entire time I'm on the road anywhere. You and know? you're not even, like, going out at night either. Like, no. It just You're, these, you're working. Like. These nine-hour workdays on the West Coast, and then I'm done at the end of it. I, I officially turned old. I did not drink one beer in Las Vegas in six days. Wow. You know what I did drink, though? You know they got the full Taco Bell cantina there? You know what I'm talking about? You know where I'm going with this? <laughs> It's a Taco Bell with a bar in it, and you can get, like, the uh, the pina colada with your with your damn uh, burritos. Oh, man. Here's the thing, Brando. 
I didn't eat Taco Bell as a kid because I ate it once in seventh grade when we got it in my town in Naugatuck, Connecticut, and I threw up all night for an unrelated illness. So I had that taste of tacos, and it linked to, to puke, right? So I didn't eat it my whole life. And then one day in my late 20s, I, I ran for the border. I just went for it. <laughs> and it's the one fast food that doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt at all. Heck, it's out of your system within 20 minutes. It doesn't hurt at all. Every other fast food hurts. There's a pain involved. Taco what Bell's you glorious. And you get a you get a pina colada with that in Vegas. It's like it's it's a joy. It's a dream. So you spent Cinco de Mayo eating not Mexican food from Taco Bell. No, that was the day before Cinco de Mayo and the day before oh, that. Okay. Cinco de Mayo, yesterday, my wedding anniversary, I spent it uh, trying not to throw up on a flight to L.A. and then sleeping <laughs> 17 hours once I got here. But, you know, it's my choice. It's my it's my life. But, you know, you're going to have to deal with that. Uh, wow. Hey, Brando, how about MMA right now? You fired up? <laughs> yeah, I am pretty fired up. We've had a couple of good weeks in a row here, and now we've got a new pay-per-view coming up with – Three different organizations having a card this week. It's going to be interesting. We got PFL on Thursday kicking off their season, too. Yeah, they got a, they had some switch-ups last minute in terms of the main event and the main event opponents and all that. But, hey, you got to check it out now. They got an ESPN deal. You got Kayla Harrison in the main event. They're kind of making you take notice. There's a lot of guys named Magomed, Magomedov. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of hardcore guys there, all right? Well, and you got the guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the guy who was with UFC who used to have all the funny weigh-in stare-downs where he would either, like, take a picture or, like, poke the guy in the nose before they start, like, doing their, like, let's look mean pics. Which guy you know is this? Talking? You're talking about John Howard? You're not talking about him, right? Not John Howard, no. I can't. I'll, I'll remember the name in a minute. But, yeah. I'm excited for PFL this year. It's going to be interesting. I, like, look, there, you know, we've had Ray Sefo on before. We're going to have Randy this week. Uh... When you get a TV deal like that, it's a take-notice situation. And when you have that interesting sort of gimmick of a season with that much prize money, you got people fighting in short bursts and fighting hard. And it's it's interesting. It kind of changes the game a little bit. I Like, you know, it's interesting to debate whether it'll work long-term, whether it'll become the norm, or whether it'll be like an IFL. Remember IFL? Remember that? Remember that team yeah. jam? People look back with, with, like, happiness. I look back with lameness on that IFL jam. I did watch it, though, but it was a fad. They tried it. It didn't work. I wonder if this season format will last. It's interesting. The guy's name was Sean O'Connell, by the way. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, he's very much an also-ran, but now he's with PFL. All right, we're going to get into uh, the weekend that was. You better believe it. I want to remind you guys, though, to uh, pay it forward. It's it's the pay it forward season. It's five-star review days, all right? Go on over. You know the access points. I'm talking about Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Tinder, jdate.com. Wherever you can find this show, swipe right for this show with a five-star review. Thank you very much. And before we get into the weekend breakdown, recap, before I pop big, for all things Cowboy Raging Al. How about we hear from our friends and sponsors right now? Yeah, it's that time. Get ready. Buckle up. Enjoy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. All right. Hey, Brando, I know we got to talk UFC Ottawa here, but what the hell was going on down this weekend? Birmingham Bellator, where it was like, hey, how many Street Fighter finishes can we do in actual MMA fights? Can you please? I don't know the guy's names, but I popped big, big each time I watched these things. Dude, you... You didn't get the chance to see this happen like in real time on Twitter because you were like walking around the arena at T-Mobile. But all of a sudden, my Twitter feed just exploded with, guys, the greatest knockout maybe in MMA history just happened (laughs) where a dude did a 720 in the air and then knocked a guy unconscious. Like he did two spins. He spun around once, looked at the opponent, didn't like what he saw, spun around again. And then landed a huge right hook that just left a guy crumbled on the ground. His name's Raymond Daniels, and he used to be a professional kickboxer. And he's a, a very he's surprisingly an older dude. He's 39, but he's finally starting to make the jump to MMA. And wow, my God, talk about a, a second fight ever in MMA. Wow, he's almost my age. He's not washed though. He's kind of having a Kung Lee like late late resurgence here. But if he can do those type of highlight reel jams, I mean, it's obviously hard to do that stuff on the high level. Even our boy MVP Michael Venom Page, who returns this Saturday, unable to do that against Paul Daly in an absolute boring slop fest. But man, these Bellator undercards consistently. First of all, people die consistently on these, and I don't mean to make a joke on that. I just mean people get knocked the hell out consistently on these. But we see these creative, ridiculous strikes, man. And then you had another one on this card too in Fabian Edwards. He is on his back doing up kicks to his opponent. Is that he legal? Hit, it is legal if you're the guy on the ground. All right. He hit him three times and he left him stunned on his feet, got back to his feet and knocked him out. It was just wild. <sighs> God, the brutality. Yeah, it was great stuff. Uh, hey, Biz, Bel- Beltor, um, they, have, they, had, they had a slow few months there, but they're starting to come back around and making us care again. Not just this card this weekend, not just that MSG card coming up, but the Rory card recently. I'm, I feel like I'm starting to care again. You, you feeling that? Well, they got, I mean, it ha- it helps when you have three straight weeks of events, even though this one, the Birmingham card, if you didn't have these two things happen, you probably don't even know that there's a Birmingham card going on, That's even fair. though they had Brent Brent Primus in the main event, who also, by the way, submitted a guy with a almost unheard of submission, Gogo Plata. Um, it was pretty sick what he did with it. With, uh, so that, that's essentially where you're choking a guy out with his own arm, right? Yeah. And you're it was it's insane. So, again, you wouldn't have heard this card happen even with that main event um, submission if these like crazy knockouts don't happen because who would have known that there's a Birmingham card when you had like Canelo going on this weekend, you had a Kentucky Derby going on this weekend. It was just a weird timing for a Bellator event. I thought. Yes. And the Kentucky Derby weirdness seemed to break the internet for a hot second there as I was getting ready for Canelo. You you okay with all that? You you, you survive? 
Did I survive? You didn't lose half your rent check on that or anything? Everything's good? I'm not a gambler like you, sir. Stop that. I only <laughs> gamble in person in Vegas, all right? And only on fights. Thank you. Okay. And four quarter, four overtime NBA games. Thank you. All right. Hey, uh, let's get into this UFC Ottawa card. So I didn't tell you, I was able to chip away at a good amount of these undercard bouts as they were happening while this really awful Canelo uh, undercard or <laughs> was going on. And uh, You were so upset watching those fights. Uh, so, look, can beggars be choosers? We have first world problems, Brandon. But when you get used to covering fights cage side or ringside, you get used to it. And it's pretty damn awesome. And it's not just awesome from the fan perspective but from a journalistic perspective you are seeing things a lot of these times we're doing live blog recaps for the fans or we're tweeting so you're the eyes and ears inside the arena you're six seven 15 20 feet away i mean you got great views you see things that other people can't see by watching the broadcast and then sometimes promoters get greedy and oscar de la hoya puts us back deep in the crowd and although i was at eye level with the ring you can't, you can't see, you can't, uh, I mean, just in that Canelo Jacobs fight, I think I scored too many rounds for Jacobs based on punches that I thought was landing. And then I look at the punch stats and I'm like, whoa, the guy landed like 7% of his jabs. And then I go back and watch the broadcast, which had this really cool angle with the jib cam they were using hovering over the ring, which made you feel even closer to the action. And yeah, man, you can't accurately do a, uh, a blow-by-blow analysis at times when you're when you're up in the crowd. Great seat for a fan, not a great seat for a guy counting punches. So I was a little pissed off during that undercard. Watched some UFC on the side on my on my laptop. That's my story. All right, that's all I got. All right. Okay. Thank you. All right. Were you entertained by anything in the UFC that you were watching? Yeah, I mean, before we get into the great stuff, uh, Walt Harris killed a man. <laughs> yes, he did. Sergey Spivak. Was... Is this what we're calling this guy? I don't know if everyone call his name again unless they get Greg Hardy propped up against him. It was very violent and very fast. Speaking of Greg Hardy, how did he look? I didn't end up watching that fight. I know we skipped a week in the show. How did Greg Hardy look? You were there in Uh, Fort Lauderdale. So he looked as good as somebody can against a tomato can is how I would put it. Uh, Dana White said after the fight that he couldn't believe that Dmitry Smolikov, the guy that he beat, had nine wins in his career. He said, I wanted to I want to see those nine people that he beat. I feel like I'm looking at some of them in this room right now. He Bro, said that to the media the after the fight. Yeah, you, you and your people booked that fight, just so you know, Dana. Yeah, it was. he was very upset with how Smolikov looked. And he was just like kind of – he was he was happy with Greg because Greg won and he did what he was supposed to do. But he wanted he wanted Greg to get a little bit challenged, you know. Like they put him in a co-main event slot for a reason. They wanted to see him put on a little bit more of a display than just – Stuff two takedowns and then get a guy on the ground with ground and pound and finish it. Like he didn't knee anybody well, in the face illegally or hit any women. He did not. It That's was good. very, it was very much like a sparring match almost. It was the crowd was not into it either. It was weird. Like I didn't expect that from South Florida, but the fans were booing him after he won and they were having him talk to Joe John Anik at, after the fight. Wow! Wow! Your South Floridians turned on him overall. Good experience. You've been begging for a UFC card. This wasn't a great card on paper. Did UFC Sunrise hit you in the field spot at all? I mean, Mike Perry made my night. That's pretty much all I can say at this point. Like, Jacare, we could talk about Jacare in a minute, but Jacare kind of disappointed me. Jack Hermanson kind of took his lunch and just didn't let him do anything in that fight. 
Um, but made Mike like Perry thousand for doing so, right? He was Jack Herm- Hermanson made like thirty thousand dollars. Like the the price yeah. was insane. Um, but Mike Perry, man, that guy, I I will never, uh, I will never miss a fight he has anymore. Like he's just so entertaining. He gets he gets it. Like he's out there to put on a show and put on a performance, and he did like two times over. Him dancing as as Alex Oliveira dances his way to the octagon was just amazing. Would you rather get a Mike Perry tattoo above your eye like he has or get a Mike Pyle-style mullet and have to wear it for a full three years? Three years of a mullet? Well, dude, we're talking about a face tat, all right? We're talking, I mean, look, you, it's 2019. It used to be if you had a tat, like, below your elbow or on your neck, it meant you were in jail. Nowadays, people can have neck tats and be normal, but eyeball tats? Nah, brah. So if you're getting that. an eyeball tat. It's, a, it's above his eyebrow. And it says platinum, by the way. All right. Just giving you I mean, option. I would probably go with the, the mullet just because I don't want a face tat, but, like, I... A mullet's a, a mullet's a bad look for three years. Yeah, well, that's why it's a tough question, all right? That's why I bring the heat there. But, hey, you finally got UFC Sunrise. I'm glad you liked it. They're never coming back. Thank you very much. All right. Most likely. Yes. Ottawa. So, look, Walt Harris killed that man. It was a strong performance. Spivak did not look like he belonged. Hey, I didn't see this uh, Macy Kyasin fight. She, I know she's had trouble in the past cutting down to 135. She, do you think she should go up to 45? She sent Sarah Moras to heck in, uh, in two rounds. Did it move you at all? Yeah, it was all right. Ariel Hawani was saying that he wants her to stay to go to 145 because she's kind of what the division needs at this point. You mean I another mean, name besides uh, Nunez in, uh, in Cyborg? Yeah, another name yeah. at 45 would be nice. It would. I just don't know if she's going to have that kind of power draw or draw at this point. Like, she's still developing. They need... They need like ten people to fill a division, and she's only one person. So, which means she'll be fighting for a title within the next six months. So, good luck to her. Hey, this Shane Burgos fight, Cub Swanson, though I did get a chance to see this. Uh, this was a split decision win for Burgos. It could have gone either way. Fun fight, quick. Uh, the work rate was intense. It was pretty crazy to just see them. Neither of them seemed to get tired at all during that fight either. It was wild to watch. And if you. I mean, you said you just you watched it a little bit earlier. Did Burgos not look like a 155er in there against Cub? Like yeah, looked Cub giant. looked tiny. He looked giant against Cub, absolutely. And when you look at the fact that Burgos now twelve and one, I don't think of him as a twelve and one fighter. I don't think of him as a guy this good, but he's kind of starting to put things together. Yeah, and it was kind of tough for Cub to lose that. I think he's lost four in a row now, or three out of four. And they're all against high-level guys except for maybe Burgos, but Burgos might be on his way to that. So it's a tough stretch for a veteran like Cub, but hopefully he gets another chance because he didn't look bad in this fight. He was just overmatched by size, I felt like. Yeah, Cub brings it, man. He's in that rough spot you mentioned when you're mid-30s and you have that many losses. And you give him the benefit of the doubt because of the competition level, but at the same time you go, what do we really have here? Can he reinvent himself? It's tough to say. What about Derek Brunson getting that co-main event win over Elias Theodoro? Gets the unanimous decision. Eh, it was an okay fight. I mean, Derek Ugh. Brunson is an okay middleweight. That's sort of the bottom line. It was pretty gross to watch, to be honest. Like Elias Theodoro, for all of his like shtick about being the pretty boy, like he was the ring man, 
one time for Invicta, yeah, I think. Whatever, that's lame. But he just he didn't he didn't seem to have any interest in actually fighting. Like every time that Brunson like came close, he was running and ducking away, trying to do his like Stephen Thompson pick you up, pick you from the outside, and it just didn't work. Brunson's too good for that, so it wasn't a pretty fight to watch. And I'm just glad Brunson got his win so he can get back on the winning track. Yeah. All right, let's talk about this main event. Lightweights, Donald Cerrone, Al Iaquinta. It was as close as a pick 'em fight from a betting standpoint, as both were were uh, in the minus, if you will, with Al, the slight favorite. And good Lord, man. I didn't get to watch this live. I did, of course, rewatch it. But live, you were going nuts in our work Slack channel, and rightfully so. It's a brutal-ass fight. Cerrone kind of reinvents himself at this level to get a much-needed win for the idea of staying a title contender at this age. But the story of this fight for me, as great as Cerrone looked, is good lord Al's got some balls. Because not just a front kick that that would have finished anyone, not just getting front kick to the face four total times, but his nose busted and the guy was never out of this fight and he always seemed one big right hand away from getting back in. I got a lot of respect for this man. It took me a long time to come around on the idea that Al Iaquinta was a legitimate, almost title contender type guy. Yes, this is a loss that sets him back, but this this real estate agent, man, this guy's, this guy's got balls. Can we talk about the fact that in last April, when he fought Khabib, you were kind of like, why isn't Khabib going in for the finish? Why why isn't this ha- – like, why isn't he able to just go in there and take his soul away? Well, I think that speaks more to how damn strong and tough Al is at this point. Now that we've seen him a few times more, like – I mean, the Kevin Lee win is solid. That's a solid step forward. This is just who he is, though. Like, he's never going to be out of a fight. He's never going to just go away. He's never going to just cover up and just say, all right, I'm done. I know I'm out of this fight. Like, he's going to take the bet, that best shot that you got. He might get wobbled or might get get woozy, I guess. But he's going to keep coming forward. He's not going to just step back and just just try and, like, survive. He's always coming in after a big shot and trying to finish you because in his mind, he's always that one shot away. And it's weird because there were points every time it seemed like he was about to be outclassed. And, and we're going to talk about Cerrone in a second. And this was a and this was a great performance from Donald Cerrone. I mean, this was great. This looked like prime cowboy. But every time it looked like cowboy was really putting it together, and either on the verge of stopping him or just on the verge of of outclassing for you know a full two minute, three minute stretch, Raging Al comes back with a with a rocket right hand, and you're just like, holy crap! And he rocks Cerrone, and he's just in that fight. Man, he's a tough out, and I feel like Al is still getting better. And I know he had that long stretch of being out of the cage. I know he was was, uh, persona non grata with management for a while. And as much as this is a step back, it was also sort of a step forward in terms of, like, he's got the goods, and he's slowly putting it together. And you're right. History will go back and revision, revision and revisit it and realize how good he did fight against Habib and you give Habib credit for taking that fight on what you know an hour and a half notice too you know it's it's a whole new game plan against the guy but wow tough ass fight exciting ass fight because Cerrone had multiple moments where he looked like he was going to finish Al including mounting him was at the end of the second round where he was almost in full mount just ground and pound mm-hmm. for days on him and dude Donald Cerrone I it's may a couple of times for your boy BC right here all right I know. I mean, he's 36 years old, and I know I've said on this show, sorry, guys, he's washed. Put him in there against Connor. It's perfect. It's a get-back fight for Connor. 
he's not washed, bro. I'm washed, okay? But obviously, you know why I fell into that trap for a couple reasons, all right? Cerrone, like he said all over that broadcast, he's never cared about the title. He cares about money. He wants to fight five, six times a year every other month until the UFC makes him stop because he wants to buy new boats and he wants to live this wild life. He wants the money. He's never been about that life in terms of chasing a title and building a legacy. But something has happened to this man, Brandon. And, and it seems like fatherhood was a big part of it. And if you saw any of the work Brett Okamoto did for ESPN by going to, to uh, Cowboys, what, BMF Ranch and seeing his life and documenting it with pictures and video, it was interesting to say the least. I feel like Cowboy, for whatever version of domestication could happen to a man named Cowboy who's this wild, is kind of happening. And it's making him focus for the first time, Brandon, on legacy. I mean, I've interviewed Cowboy a million times. They were always bad interviews. The dude doesn't care about anything. He just wants to fight. He's a fighter. That's why people love him. He's the if he if he was beer, he's Bud Can, right? We know that he's friggin' Bud Can. But something happened to him, and it's not just being a father. I think he woke up and realized I have the most. I have the most in like four different major categories in UFC history. They're all built on longevity. But he's got like the most wins, second most appearances. Most finishes, most this and that, but he doesn't have the world title. Is he on the? Is he going to have a bizping like run here? Because he's already a legend, but kind of had warning track power when it came to winning the big one. In some cases, he didn't care about the big one, right? He went up to welterweight probably because it was easier to make way and sort of reinvent himself. Well, now he's back in the money division, Brandon, and at thirty six, he looks like a friggin' player. You can do nothing after this brutal win but say bc's wrong this guy still has it would you say that he in in this at this point now that he's done this again with another set of of wins like this is he a top three person who's never won a ufc belt you're damn right i mean we're we always going to say dan henderson who won belts mm-hmm. everywhere else and I think I, I still believe in Joseph Benavidez being high up in that, that conversation. But good Lord, Cowboy's right here. I mean, he's fought everybody. He's got some great wins. He's got some spectacular losses against the very best. And, you know, the idea of him being washed, he did lose, uh, what, four out of five in that stretch between 2017 and 2018 before going on this three-fight win streak. And probably ill-advised to go up to welterweight at that point and stay there that long. And he's fighting guys like Masvidal, Lawler, Till, I mean, it was a who's who. But yes, to your point, he is getting to that point now where it's not just he's a compiler. He really is an all-time great. But to really put on that crown of being an all-time great, what they said on the broadcast was true. You got to kind of have won a world title. He hasn't. And I give him credit for taking it this serious now. And yes, I knew he would always have a chance against Conor McGregor. But I did like that fight more for Conor because I thought, Cowboy was weaker and vulnerable at this age and not taking the sport as seriously as maybe as he could. Dude, he looked phenomenal in there on Saturday night. Everything, the, the, the striking was fluid. The chin was great. Power, the ability to, to switch levels, the leg kicks, the variety in the leg kicks. Everything was, was calculated. This didn't look like, you know what it looked like? It, remember how Cowboy can put it together every few fights? You remember when Eddie Alvarez made his UFC debut? And they put him in there against Cow- Cowboy. It was a tough-ass fight. And Cowboy just technically fought brilliant in that fight. And I was like, oh, man, he can be that guy. He's that guy again, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, I can see that for sure. I just want – I don't even know what I want for him now because it's like 
He's not going to fight for the belt this year. He's how many fights do you think he has left in him? Honestly, because Dad Cerrone, as he called himself, does have some life to live out there. Like he kept saying that he wants to fight again and fight quickly because he wants to build a pool for his his baby. But like, <laughs> I how many more times can he put himself through this? Because I told you on Friday that picture of him at the weigh-in, I was scared for him because he looked dead on the scale. Like yeah. he looked bad. He that looked good no on joke. Saturday night because he got to rehydrate and he he probably added another 20 pounds. But like I don't know about that, man. Like if he's going to have to cut himself – like do that much cut again to get anywhere near a 155 belt, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of worried about that. Yeah, it, it looks like to be a very hard cut. But then when you put on a five-round performance like that against somebody that tough – it seems to scream at you that it's not as big of a deal as maybe he looked. And I'm not. And look, weight cutting is a friggin' Russian roulette. It's insane. But you mentioned the idea of, you know, all-time great bridesmaids. I forgot Uriah Faber, by the way, in that discussion. Although he, of course, did win a WEC title. But you look at Cowboy. He lost three separate WEC title bouts, twice to Benson Henderson, once to Jamie Varner. Only got to the UFC title level one time against RDA in 20... And I'm sorry, it was the RDA rematch in 2015. He lost twice to RDA, got stopped for the lightweight title in the first round in 2015. And anytime he'd seem to get close, and he's got a bunch of four and five win streaks bursts in his career, he just couldn't get over that bubble. He's in the most crowded division with nothing but killers. Will he get a title shot before he retires, Brando? Will it happen? I feel like he will, but he will get it kind of the way Dan Henderson did, where they just wanted to get him one shot to go out as a champion at 46. <laughs> you know, where it's just like, hey, you remember that Michael Bisping fight you had like almost 10 years ago? Let's do that again before you retire. You know, I feel like it, it probably is something like that because it's like at this point. So we'll talk about it again in a second, but Tony Ferguson's meeting with UFC Brass today to talk about his future with the company. Let's say that they decide to go that route with Cowboy. How do you think that's going? He's going to lose that fight. He's 100% going to lose that fight. So my point is, I think at this point, this is so much fun with Cowboy right now. Like Him fighting somewhat elite guys in the lightweight division is great, but I just don't see him beating anybody in that top three or four right now. That's why just, they. That's why the Conor McGregor fight makes even more sense than it did in the beginning. In the beginning, meaning you know, the last five months, it made a crap ton of sense. But for anyone that had any doubts about Cowboy, even me, good lord, this was an incredible victory. He deserves that co- that Conor fight from a standpoint of payday and and not- notoriety and stuff more than ever. Here's the here's the deal though: Is UFC going to break their stupid new rules? It seems of well, we can't have a main event fight if it's not for a title. I mean, you can't put a second interim lightweight title out there, but but Cowboy Connor is nothing but a main event, Brandon, under any circumstances. Nothing but a main event. He said that he wanted that fight for July. Now, the reports are that there's going to be a second pay-per-view in July, but let's just think about that for a second. What if they decided out of nowhere, you know, this is May 6th that we're talking on, hey, we're going to have Cowboy Connor headline International Fight Week. Does that... <laughs> How does John Jones and Amanda Nunes feel about that? See, they wouldn't put that above two title fights. The idea would be after already having International Fight Week early in the month, would they be willing to do Connor Cowboy non-title as the main event later in the month? Good Lord, a year ago, two years ago, they'd been over backwards to do that. It just seems in 2019, for whatever reason, 
well, no, we've got to have a title. It's got to be a title. Well, you already have an interim lightweight title that shouldn't have happened. I know it produced a great fight and gave, you know, but but still. So, yeah, they're going to have to break their own stupid rules just like they always do and, and, and make the fight that matters. If you can turn that fight around in two and a half months, heck yeah. Heck yeah, because Cowboy has so much goodwill and hype right now. Three-fight win streak. Of course, you know, he has the name and the love, but now he has the, the critical side. He deserves it. I mean, beating Alexander Hernandez and Mike Perry is good, but you throw in Ray now on top of that, and then this is almost a de facto number one contender fight. It's not because how crowded the division is, and again, Tony Ferguson's still around. What are you going to do with him? He's going to need a giant-ass fight, but man... You got to make that, Brandon. It's got to be a main event. You have to do it now. We need that fight. And so if you're you, if you're UFC, could you imagine that? What is that? Six week stretch, seven week stretch. You go UFC two thirty nine with international which fight is week. With so loaded, bro. So that loaded, loaded card. Then you put two forty in late July. I don't know where they would think about doing that. As Cowboy Connor, followed by DC Stipe, two forty one. On August 17th. That's how you build goodwill back to the fans of UFC. You, They've put up with so many of these like also-ran cards that are just ESPN Plus events that are not really fulfilling what fans want when it comes to like big names fighting each other. If you put that three, three pay-per-view stretch together, that's how you get fans to buy your product again and stay buying your product. Yeah, you're damn right. That 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 brings it back to full on goodwill. And look, we are already on a fun stretch right now. You consider the amazingness of that Atlantic car, two thirty six that I was cage side for. When you get moments like that, Brando, and it's not that we were on a bad UFC run before that, but you get a night like that where it's just, oh my god, that starts something. I think we're going somewhere. I think this summer is red hot fire. We're doing it. It's ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. Uh, we don't have a – there's no – is there even a rumored site for 240 at this point? I don't believe so. I remember that Ariel tweeted something about you need to keep an eye on like three different cities, Sacramento, um, Anaheim, Uruguay was another one. But two of those have already been announced because Anaheim is going to be 241 for DC Stipe and Sacramento is another like ESPN or ESPN Plus card. Later this summer, I don't remember where they said yet for 240, but we got 242 <laughs> this September. Abu Dhabi, you about it? You want to go? Yeah, dude, can we book that right now, please? Yes, come on. Get seriously, give me Habib Poirier. Give me, give it that to me now. And yeah, I'll, I'll give you this on on Habib. Like, he seems to have a worldwide connection a lot due to the Muslim faith with with so many different countries that putting him in a spot like that where he can headline and be a star, that that's a pretty smart move. I'll give UFC credit on that. Yeah, that and that's always, I think, been their plan, is to have him fight in that part of the world where he can make like a big impact on the fan base there. So it's it's not official yet, but it's basically official. Do you think they'll try something? Because that's a monster fight. Do they try something, meaning UFC, to get American media to go there? And we've seen people do this in the past. Bob Aaron of Top Rank in Boxing, when he put Manny Pacquiao twice in Macau, there was sort of a discount travel deal on a private media jet. We're going to see something like that. I don't know. I mean, they've been to UAE a couple of times in the past. I don't know if... Just once? Just that, that card headlined by... Damian Maya and Anderson Silva, which had the first, I believe, BJ Penn, Frankie Edgar in the co-main. Yeah, I mean, I don't 
I don't remember them doing it for that, but if they did, that'd be pretty awesome. Interesting, interesting stuff there, uh, dude. Talk for a second on 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 Cowboy. Like, what happened here? Because this is he. I mean, the size difference at lightweight is huge. I mean, the reach, the reach. He he. The, his ability to use his reach against Al was fantastic. But again, he's thirty six, and the speed and precision on those combinations with his hands were so impressive. But when you mix it in with, with those leg kicks, I mean, he was picking that dude apart. Brandon, look back over his last, you know, 10 fight run, which included both the current win streak. And then that stretch, of course, where he lost three out of four. I didn't see that. So was it welterweight, the problem, or was it him, the problem? You know what I'm going to say? I think it was, was a training camp problem because I mean, I know I read all of this weird gossip crap, but Cowboy and Jackson Wink had a really messy divorce yes. when it comes to like who who was really like running the show kind of thing. And ever since he left them, everything's gotten a lot better for Cowboy and Jackson Wink's kind of fallen apart. You know, Mike Perry, by the way, used to train at Jackson Wink, but he has since moved all of his camp to Orlando into the into Florida. And he's doing a lot better now than he was when he was with Jackson Wink. So I don't know if it's a training slash coaching change that has just helped him get his mind back in the right place that it needs to be for these fights and and how he's preparing for these fights on top of having his kid as something to fight for now but it's crazy like what was when was his last loss 2016 now or was it 2017 it was 2017 you're looking at the leon edwards five round decision i believe um no, it was 2018 against Darren Till, I believe. No, 2018, he lost. To, the Edwards fight was June of 2018 in Singapore. Yeah. He went five rounds. Not, you know, it, it, it was coming off of the bounce back knockout of Yancey Medeiros, which 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 put an end to that three fight win streak, or losing streak at welterweight, all against elite com- competition, like we mentioned. Yeah, so I think it just has something to do with that because mo- moving training camps and hearing different voices as your coach can only do you a good thing. Like he's probably at the point now where I don't need somebody telling me specifically when and where to train or what different techniques I need to train. I need somebody to help me say, Hey Donald, you're getting your ass kicked right now. You need to change up to this. You need to do that. You know, instead of just a like rigid schedule, he's probably happier now because he's not having to follow that kind of thing. And he's on his ranch, you know, Herding cattle or doing whatever the hell that cowboy that does. Sauna room he's got there, that big ass sauna room. <laughs> Listen, I wish I could live the lifestyle of cowboy. That's all I'm saying. I love that story he told. He tries not to tell it, but that time he was out on the boat and some drunk dudes like splashed him with their bow and then they talked trash and they didn't realize he was a fighter and he kept telling them to like get away i'm gonna beat your ass get away and they wouldn't they were talking trash at his girl and finally got up and he beat all them up and got arrested i love that story i forgot what podcast i heard that on i've heard that story a couple times it's great hey by the way uh this guy uh cerrone is back on the cerrone schedule that was his third fight in six months this dude's insane yeah i mean i think that's contributed in the past brandon to the fact that like He's not letting his body or brain rest, and he's just always trying to fight another month later. Yep, and that's why I'm worried about him trying to fight Connor in July or fighting anybody else in the elite level of lightweight after fighting this much this soon. 
Wow, how about naming your son Danger? What kind of badass is this kid going to do? I mean, the kid's going to be firing guns before he can walk. The kid's going to be, you know, probably growing up on a dirt bike. I mean, wow, right? Is there any other big business you think they're for Cowboy at this point besides Connor or Tony? That's a good question. Are we think we should be thinking of an aging name who can kind of float divisions? We I have I have one in mind, but I don't know if it would actually work. What a trilogy with RDA after he lost the first two? No, Nathan Diaz. There perhaps. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it right there. Um, if he can't get Connor, and certainly he can't get a title shot, and he, look, he's not going to turn down a Tony Ferguson fight. You know how Cowboy is, right? He's going to go after that ish. But you're right. If they could get Nate out of hiding and pay him what he feels he deserves and what I'll tell you right now he deserves. He deserves it, all right? How are you going to avoid that fight? That's like a monster co-main event. Monster. Ariel uh, had his his uh, 21 thoughts of the weekend post today on ESPN.com, and he actually noted that Nate hasn't fought in three years, by the way. It's been three years since we've seen Nate Diaz in the ring. He wants to fight, and... In his mind, according to Ariel, his mind says the fight for Nate would be Anthony Pettis at 170 because Nate doesn't want to cut to 155 anymore. I'd find that interesting. I don't hate that. He part. also he also said that um, what they could do if Tony or Connor is unavailable for Cowboy is Justin Gaethje. How do we feel about that? I don't like that fight for Cowboy. I don't like it. <laughs> that's right. I don't like it's, it. That's a striking blitzkrieg if there ever was one. But I would be so worried about Cowboy just getting dropped so quickly. I don't like that fight at all. No, no, no. I, 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 look. Wait, you don't like the fight or you don't like it for Cowboy? For Cowboy at this point. For, for, for danger. For his damn son, I don't like this fight. All right. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, he's deserving of either a super celebrity fight or to get in line for a title. Like, and I mean get up to the front of the line. So if it's got to be like a Tony Ferguson where it's like, look, dude, you're probably fighting for a title if you beat him, then go. you can't, you can't turn it down. You can't turn it down. Even though I think he's going to lose that fight, it's a dangerous fight. You can't turn that down. You're not getting a title by going through Justin Gaethje, and obviously Justin's not on the level of a Nate or a Connor where you're making a celebrity fight. So, yeah, there you go, bro. That's the answer right there. UFC okay. Ottawa in the books. That was fun, though. That was a fun-ass main event. I'll give Cerrone a lot of credit. I didn't like his chances coming in. I thought the odds makers had it right, but I still thought this was going to be a grinding fight that he would ultimately lose, if not get stopped. And did you see his comments? He said the Cowboy of old would have given up in a fight like this against Al. I was shocked by that. Did you see those comments? I missed that. What does he mean by he would have given up? Like, he would have felt like he got knocked out? I'm going to have to click on the uh, MMA fighting link once my uh, slow-ass uh, California Hotel Hotel California um, internet catches up with me. But uh, the quote was, Younger me would have quit against Al Iaquinta at UFC Ottawa. Still loading. Thank you to our friends at <laughs> MMA fighting as we tell you what happened here. Uh, he said this after the fight. Yeah, all right. That's great. Great. That's great. All right. <laughs> Um, I'm trying well, to find the. Uh... I'm trying to think of where he would have quit because 
he got rocked once in the fight, but he never seemed to be in true danger where Al could have finished him. All right, he says, I was telling my corners that I felt terrible starting that fight. I couldn't find it. Back in the locker room, I didn't want to warm up. I didn't want to get ready. I didn't want to hit the pads. I didn't want to wrestle. I didn't want to fight until the second round. No, that, that's sort of in line with Cowboy. He's always been a late starter. He's always been somebody who had to kind of get roughed up early in a fight to kind of wake up. But he said, uh, quote, people have always said I'm a slow starter, and what Cowboy are you going to get? in terms of a good good or bad performance. And he said, and we train hard, we blah, 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 and today was my worst day. So walking into that cage, he felt like ish is what he's saying. Good Lord, he turned on a performance that like resurrected his name. Wow. That sounds like the Leon Edwards fight though, right? Because wasn't he like really sick before that fight where he couldn't even like walk? Yeah, he basically says he was faking it till he making it in terms of walking into that cage and acting like he belongs, but he was not feeling it. He says, the cowboy you get is a crapshoot. If it was Al, he had my number. He should just effing turned it on in the first round because I was lost. I don't know where I was, but I wasn't in the fight. Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't. I didn't see him get his ass kicked in that first round. Not really. I mean, it was a fun first round where they were both touching each other pretty good, like with right hands and with, with crosses, but... There didn't seem to be true danger for either guy at any point. It was just a fun first round. The pace was what scared me, though, because I was telling Jack, our, our buddy, like, I don't like this fight if this goes five rounds for Cowboy because his gas tank always worries me in that kind of event. But he kept it going all fight. It's a, it was a fantastic performance. And like I mentioned, Mia culpa to him. You're back, Cowboy. I'm the one who is washed. Let's move it on here. Hey, we missed a couple of things from the news cycle of the last few weeks. One of the big ones, of course, is Brock Lesnar will not be coming back, at least for now, another quote-unquote retirement. But, Brandon, great news for MMA fans, for UFC, for UFC heavyweights. This had been an S show for a while. The idea that fresh off a steroid test and just – one fight in like the last seven years, Lesnar was going to walk back in and get DC for a title. It was, it was uh, very contradictory to what UFC normally believes in, and it was just very much a crap situation meant to reward DC. And nobody seemed to want it, and no one believed Lesnar was going to have any chance to win. Although, of course, the fight would have done well, and that would have been the point of doing it. Now you hear some more, even deeper inside rumors about why Dave Meltzer, of course, the the. Uh, the wrestling dirt sheet man who also works for MMA fighting came out in his uh, wrestling observer newsletter and said Brock basically tried to ask for too much money, which seems right on brand with Brock and that UFC kind of came to their, you know, senses and were like, wait, let's not do this. Um, it looked bad for the company to be that deep into it with him to give Brock the control. Every time Dana would talk, he would say, well, you know, Brock's going to call me one of these days. And when he's ready, we're ready for him. I'm very happy for Stipe to get this rematch. If any champion deserved an immediate rematch, Brandon, it was Demetrius Johnson. He didn't get it. He got traded. But Stipe was in that category when you consider the first guy to three title defenses had been such an honest and champion. Yes, he got knocked out by DC, but DC's been injured and hasn't been fighting. And Stipe held out all this time, and it, and it paid off. I'm happy for him. I saw some funny memes and tweets going around about how we are – this is like – the peak of millennials where you're teaching children to whine and complain enough until they get their way. And Stipe finally got his way by sitting on the <laughs> sideline, not fighting. But seriously, like the guy was a model champion for you. He did all of the right things. The only thing he wasn't good at was talking. And 
to his point, like, he doesn't need to be. He's a damn firefighter. He sold you a lot of Modelo. And he won. And he won fun. Like, he, he wasn't a point fighter. Him, though, bro. Come on. He what? He did yeah, tap he against Overeem. But keep going. Keep going. But he never, he never lost. He won four or five straight fights all by knockouts. And it was fun with him in there. Like, there was always just a sense of you never know when this fight is going to end with him because of how quick and how precise he had gotten with his strikes. Now, he got clipped. And like we talked about when it happened, he has left himself open to that right hook across the chin. And he goes out cold quick on those. But he did deserve a title shot. He deserved a rematch with DC. I am happy for him. This is like as good as it can get, I think, at this point, because what else would you book at heavyweight right now for DC where he's going to get the payday that you keep promising him yeah, now, that he's still, nothing, now that he's still going to fight after his his self-imposed retirement date? Look, this is know? the right fight to make. I'm happy for it. I'm excited. I'm excited to, to, to see what happens in this fight. And I don't even think even let, let's say Stipe wins. I don't even think it kills the idea of a third John Jones DC fight. Whether DC, really? well, here's here's the thing. I don't want that fight to be at two hundred five. I don't want old DC to try to cut back down. I mean, look, he's he's thick, bro, with two C's. I mean, look, it's time for that fight to happen at heavyweight. So yeah, maybe I just shot myself in the foot. Maybe him losing that would kill that. We need to get to that fight, but I'm not against UFC making this the next fight. Because look, it's it's DC. It's like defender get off the pot. So this is the, the guy that that deserves it. He's waiting. Let's do this. And I'm a Lesnar guy. Especially from a WWE standpoint, I'm a Lesnar guy at a time when a lot of people are sort of souring on the old act and the old routine. But, man, this was just a bad look. I'm really happy for everybody involved. Did you see Curtis Blades come out and send Brock to hell over a tweet? I'm just happy that these guys aren't being passed over as easily. If Brock hadn't been around, it would have been different. But, dude, that was such a stain on him and UFC's reputation for what he did at 200. And in this day and age where everyone's popping, but everybody's got a crappy excuse... I mean, Canelo. Canelo had an excuse, and we, whether we bought it or not, it's over. Brock has no excuse, bro. And the fact that Dana and company are sort of okay with it, 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 it never felt good with me. Do you buy in to the thought that Ariel Hawani has tweeted out there as well that for wanting that fight? Can you and repeat that? that? We, he, had a, we had an audio hiccup. Can you repeat that part? Ariel Hawani says that this is not DC's fault for wanting that fight. He says that UFC dangled it in front of him as a way to keep him around, basically. And now that it's gone, you can't blame him for now ending up in this rematch, whatever, eleven or 14 months later. Because this was going to be a plan eventually. They just wanted to get DC against Brock Lesnar because they wanted the big money payout. I don't blame so, DC at all. But at the same time, the company's rewarded him for coming back quick in New York last year against Lewis and then given him plenty of time to be injured and relax and all that. Um, they haven't even floated out a stupid interim heavyweight title belt, which I'm sure you know could have happened at any point. But you also got to defend. And this is the guy right now. This is the guy that deserves it. Yeah, would it have been better if Sipa came back and defeated Ngannou for the second time or beat a, you know, a Curtis Blades-level guy in a comeback fight? Maybe. But this is the fight to make. Let's do it. I, you know, I don't blame DC. They did sort of put. I mean, look, they let. It was crap when they let Brock run in the cage too last year in New York as well. I'm sorry, Vegas. It was crap. Vegas. It was crap. 
All right, it's all crap, but it's over, and I'm happy that it's over. Let's get back on with it because, Brandon, I don't want to wait any longer. I want DC Jones 3, so let's see what happens with the Stipe fight. Let's see if we get closer to this fight. Let's see, finally. Let's, I'm sick of these bottlenecks in these divisions, whether it's lightweight, whether it's heavyweight, whether it's whatever. I'm sick of things being held up for one person. Let's let everybody play by the same rules. Let's keep moving business, and let's stop with the interim crap. Why, we're going to see more. You saw that, that rumor, right, that came out when Brock DC was originally, quote-unquote, rumored on one of those weak websites, and the rumor that was linked with it was that it was going to be Cyborg and Rocky Pennington at 145 for an interim title. Stop <laughs> that. So basically, Brandon, now look, that's a bad rumor, and we don't know what, what truth you know, created that. But if, if 236, which gave us legendary fight, one legendary fight and one really good main event back-to-back, both for interim titles that, I'm sorry, both did not need to have interim titles for. Dana proved himself right in his own mind. Do you feel like every number one contenders match from here on out is interim title? Probably. That's such BS. Yes. Because it means nothing historically. It means nothing. It's just a way to put a belt on somebody who probably doesn't deserve it yet. No, it's just a way to sell pay-per-views. That's all it is. And to add more, add something to a fight to make it feel bigger. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. All right, that's it. I will say this, though, before we move on. Do you buy in at all to this being negotiation tactics on Brock Lesnar's part? For what angle? To get, one, to get more money. From the UFC? From the UFC. Because we all know that he's used the UFC against WWE for years. Mm Mm-hmm. No, my thought is that this might be him trying to negotiate more money out of UFC, even though he doesn't like how the pay-per-view structure is now. If he thinks that he can get them to to pay him more to do a fight, maybe in November at MSG. I don't know. It's possible. I think I, I actually like the UFC not not bending for him. And and again, we've talked about it with the new pay-per-view structure. They have more leverage on fighters again, so they don't need to do that. But it made me wonder for a second, because Brock's going to be 42, if if he wanted it but didn't want it. What I mean by that is he knows he's going to lose, but he would do it for sick money. He can't get the sick money, so he sort of overpriced himself to see what would happen. I wonder if it's that. I don't think he's done. I think he has that competitive itch where he will be back in some celebrity one-off. Probably not for a title, probably not deserving of a title. But I made this weird prediction. I think it was like four or five years ago. I was like, you know what's going to happen? John Jones one day will move up to heavyweight, and his debut fight will be against Brock, and he'll destroy Brock, but the pay-per-view will sell insane numbers. That's still in play. Still kind of in play, Brandon. I could still see that happening in the next six months to a year. John Jones officially announces he's going to heavyweight, and they give him Brock first, and it's a massive fight, and he destroys him. Do you really believe that he that the UFC didn't budge here? Because yes, all Dana said was that Brock told me he's done fighting. Like he didn't come out and say Brock wanted too much money or any yeah. of that stuff because he likes to play nice with with Brock. But I don't know about that. I Betting feel like UFC was just kind of like was just kind of like Brock. We want to do this fight. We need to know. Like we, we kind of need to make a decision here. Brock said, "I'm not ready," so they decided to make the the Stipe fight for August. Um, with with the whole quote unquote retirement part of it, it makes me believe that that was the way to cover up the issue. Which, I, and I don't know why I'm back in Meltzer so hard here, but I, I would I would buy that. I would believe it that Brock would just try to shoot the moon on the money, and that UFC was sort of like, you know what, 
We don't need to. We don't need to do it. There's enough problems with this matchup. Let's not do it. So, yeah, he, and, but they did seem to do him well. If you believe what I believe, then they did him well by, quote-unquote, announcing it as a retirement. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Also in the news that we missed from the last two weeks was that Bellator card, a good one, that featured that welterweight title bout that had the uh, the quarterfinal bout in the Grand Prix tournament. And, man, that was out of crap fight. A five-round John Fitch fight is what it was, and it ended up being a draw. But that wild interview afterwards with Roy McDonald, who's turned deeper into the Christian faith, kind of retired without retiring and basically saying he doesn't have the heart. I was very intrigued by the honesty of this, Brandon, and it certainly was an eye-opener, and the fight stunk. And I know it was agreed upon beforehand that should the champion fight to a draw that he would advance, which I still don't really feel like is fair, but I feel like nobody likes John Fitch and wants him around anymore and wants to see him in big fights. So everybody's sort of like, yeah, this is great. Keep going, Rory. And I know they've covered it up since then with Rory coming out and making a statement that he was emotional. It was in the moment. He's going to fight against Naaman Gracie at UFC at, I'm sorry, Bellator NYC coming up. Nobody worry, nobody panic. But Brandon, we got to stop and examine this. This was an honest take. A guy who's been through hella wars who doesn't have that red dragon psychotic side of him anymore. And I can respect that. But also, if this is real, then get out of the cage. Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's it's weird, but it, like you said, it's also like really insightful into kind of the psyche of a fighter where it's like, he literally said that since I've gotten more religious and more in tune with my soul, I don't want to hurt people as much anymore. Like, dude, you you make money by punching people in the face. You probably shouldn't do that then. That's what I, I'm saying. When you lose that heart to be a warrior, you need to be a warrior to protect yourself. If he goes in there with that sort of torn mindset the only thing that's going to happen brandon is not another boring five-round fight he's going to get knocked out he's going to get his soul taken but he's also got a soft-ish matchup with neiman gracie coming up now where he's not as he's not a striker he's a wrestler he's a submission guy like i don't know i i do think that if douglas lima wins this weekend he's going to destroy rory in their rematch I will agree with you on that one. It's going to be interesting to see the style Rory fights in because if his heart's not in it and rather than have him like retire and give up the championship and walk away from the tournament, maybe they're sort of, come on, Rory, you're only going to get tapped out by Gracie. Go in there and do business. Hand over the belt to him. I mean, it's weird, man. I didn't like the idea of Rory as the champion in this tournament to begin with. It unnecessarily made every tournament fight five rounds. And it sort of just, I don't want to say it, I think it changed the value of what the tournament meant. To me, the tournament should have been like this prestigious thing that lifts the winner to something big, like a title shot. So to put the champion in the bracket sort of, to me, devalued the value of the title. It's just weird, man. It's a weird circumstance. And that was a weird fight, and I never want to see it again or talk about it ever again. And to have him fight again in six weeks. Like, it's just really all bad. It was a bad look all around. Yes. I completely agree. And uh, what the heck happened in that Alima Lay McFarland fight? I saw the highlights of Veda Ortega where she broke her f- damn forehead open. <laughs> I uh, That was gross. She she was getting beat up too. Like Alima Lay McFarland was losing that fight up until she gets into into full guard 
on Ortega on the ground and just delivers one of the most vicious elbows imaginable. <laughs> like it looked like surgery happened on the top of her head where she just got cut straight open on the top and there was nothing but blood coming down. It was kind of scary, like horror like, movie uh, type stuff. You ever see pro wrestling from Puerto Rico in like the 80s? They have that territory, The I think it's called the CWC, and it'd be like Abdullah the Butcher and Carlos Colon, and every big match there, they don't. They not only would blade, they'd like have their faces and chests just covered with blood like it looks like like it looks like a death basically and that's the the, the that's the puerto rican style man it, and growing up you'd see like pictures of that in magazines you'd be like oh my god what's going on down there it kind of looked like that i just want you to understand that you said have you seen that thing from puerto rico wrestling in the 80s three things that i don't know anything about just so you know Wow. All right. Taking a stand. Okay. Hey, uh, what do we got for fight announcements this week? Get me fired up with something here. There's not a lot of announcements to get fired up about. Kohoji Horiguchi against Darian Caldwell is now official for Bellator NYC. Love that fight. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. That card's coming together nicely, by the way. You you have the Rory fight. You've got my man Chael Sonnen against uh, Leona Machida. I don't hate that. And then you've got Claudia Gedalia against Randa Marcos got added to 239. All right. It's okay. another ATT product, by the way, Randa Marcos. It's kind of random, but I'll watch it. You know, it's, it's <laughs> women's strawweights. It's going to deliver. I'm just saying that entire 239 card, I think, has eight or nine ATT people on it now. It's kind of weird. We should head down to that gym and get Maybe. some badass interviews. We might. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy Brando. Uh, what else do we miss in the news here? There's got to be something else. Oh, there is something else. You ready for this, BC? Fire me up. You remember that thing that Golden Boy did a few months ago with uh, Chuck and Tito? Golden Boy MMA? Yeah, it's the future. It's the future. The future of MMA? Well, I don't know if it's the future of MMA anymore, but uh, Tito Ortiz still thinks that he can fight. And he has unretired and signed a contract with Combates America. To fight again, not to be a promoter. To fight again. Oh God! Didn't he sign the contract on like a guy's back? <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see the footage there? Yeah. I mean, it's just. So Combate, by the way, has former WWE star Alberto Del Rio, Alberto El Patron, whatever you want to call him, as like a brand ambassador slash color commentator. And that guy, that guy has fought before in Pride with a mask and got head kicked by Crow uh, Cop and sent to hell. Do you know he's considering, or no, not considering, he's announced that he's going to make a fight comeback with Combate. Maybe they set up uh, Tito versus uh, Del Rio. Would you pop for that? God. I mean, That's slop. Is, that the, is that the only thing they can do with him at this point? Like, what is Tito going to do for you if you're not getting him a celebrity fight like that? Dude, I can't name one fighter that Combate has. They've made like strides with TV money though, and I mean, they're on got the zone. Decent... I can't hate on that. You know, they got Max Prestos calling the fights. I love that man. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's weird. I don't know why. Does Tito need money? Like, what is he doing? Uh, that's an interesting question. Is it financial based? Is it well? Is it just like a lust to be wanted? That's. I mean, that's a part of it, dude. It's a part of it. You lose, you get out of the game a little bit. No one's calling your name, dude. These fighters, they love the training camp. 
Okay, maybe not when they get old, but what I'm saying is they love having something to prepare for. And in that preparation comes attention, interviews, TV appearances, making the walk to the cage and the crowd going nuts. And I don't blame them, dude. They're friggin' superheroes, right? Like, it's a crazy life. And you see that in boxing and pro wrestling and MMA. They they can't walk away. It in. I guess I kind of – I get it. I get it to a degree. But it's been a long time since Tito had a fight like that though. Like he's he was a superhero. You're right. But that was like 2005, 2006, man. Like these Bellator fights that he had were fun and weird and gross and kind of like, oh, we're really doing this, huh? But he hasn't had like a, a truly meaningful fight in a really long time. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. It's gross. It is gross. I'm just trying to give you the psyche of the old fighter there. I don't care. I won't watch it. I won't care. I'll watch it. Of course, I'll watch it. But I won't care. I definitely won't care. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, Brando, enough rambling. It's time to get into a loaded weekend preview. And it's going to start with Thursday night's PFL 12 card, the first event for the Professional Fighters League and the ESPN deal, the first event of the 2019 season. And we've got someone to tell us all about it. The Hall of Famer, the natural himself, Randy Couture, coming right at you. Enjoy. Randy, great to chat with you, man. Fired up. Randy Couture, the natural. Come on. Get fired up with me, Randy. No, seriously. Uh, look, we're excited here. PFL kicking off the 2019 season and it's not like any other kickoff because this is ESPN. This is the big deal. ESPN 2, Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. The prelims begin 6.30 Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. Randy, just let's start right there. You're an you're amazing color commentator for PFL. Getting the ESPN deal during the same time that UFC has such a, a front and center position on such a prime network, how, how big is this for this promotion in taking a step forward? I think it's huge. It's a great vehicle and great platform, not only for exposure for these fighters that are fighting for the PFL, but for this brand and this format being as unique as it is. So I think it's a great place for us. That's really cool. It's obviously PFL's got the unique gimmick, the season format, the the large $1 million prize at the end of the year, the short window of you got to fight, you got to stay healthy, you got to get back in and fight the next guy. There's no trash talk to get yourself ahead of the line. How cool is that in comparison to the traditional model we've seen over the last 25, 30 years? Well, I like it a lot. I, I think I, I like everyone else had, had some questions when I first heard the format, turning the fighters around every six weeks and, and then, you know, fighting twice in one night, which is something that I did when I started this sport. That was the way we used to do it. So it harkens back to that. It harkens back to the NCAA wrestling championships where you're making weight three days in a row and, you know, wrestling five matches in the weekend. It's, it's that kind of thing. And, and, uh, I like it. And the fighters have, uh, really stepped up, embraced this whole format, shown why they're so good at what they do. We have what a 70% finish rate in season one. So excited to get season two rolling here on Thursday and, and, uh, check out all these guys and, and how they deal with it this year. It's going to be amazing. When you talk about that that one million dollar uh, bounty at the end of the year, in the in the <laughs> in a competitive field right now in MMA, which is a great 
it's a great time to be alive, so to speak, to be a, a commentator, a fighter, a promoter, whatever. You got the UFC. You got Bellator always doing their thing. PFL's rising. One just threw a ton of money at some ex-UFC names. How important do you think in the long run that pri- that kind of money is from a recruitment standpoint to, to make PFL a destination? Well, it's certainly life-changing money. And, it you know, I love the meritocracy of it. Like you said, you know, no smack talk or anything is going to get you to the front of the line. You got to fight your way up, uh, making that kind of money. A lot, a lot of guys have been in this sport for a long, long time and never made that kind of money. So, I, I think that's a, a game changer for sure. No question about it. So Thursday night, Uniondale, New York. Really good close-up here for Kayla Harrison, or certainly a rising star on the women's side, two-time Olympic gold medalist. She's sort of the face of this lightweight division that's sort of been created around her. Only a few fights into her pro MMA career. I mean, what what's the ceiling for her uh, realistically here in the sport? I'm not sure there is a ceiling, to be honest. She's got a ton of potential. I love her attitude. You know, I get to talk to her and seen her develop and seen uh, been there ringside for her first three MMA fights. Talk to her about her training, the people she's training with, and all the things that she's doing to become a a well-rounded fighter, and I love her attitude. She's amazing. So excited. She's got her hands full. This Pacheco is no joke. She's got four knockouts and seven submissions in her 11 wins. So she's going to be a handful for Kayla, you know, coming into this fight as her fourth MMA outing. So it'll be interesting. Is there another fighter on this card, specifically Thursday night, that you think is really sort of ready to make that leap into the public consciousness? Well, I think... We saw Ray Cooper the third break out in season one. I mean, he knocked out Jake Shields twice, and no one has ever done that. Uh, he brings a ferocity to the cage and, and intensity that he, he is rare. He's got you know bragging rights on the line and with with Kanaka here on Thursday night, and the rhetoric has already started back and forth between <laughs> the two Hawaiians to see who's going to get those bragging rights. Now, Randy, I've I've always put you over from the standpoint of I think you're the best fighter turned commentator that the sport has ever seen in in the short history of this sport. Loved your work on UFC. Loved your work when you when you moved on from there. What do you think is the key for you in in, in translating that so well on the air? Um. Well, first of all, nobody's punching me in the face, so I'm pretty relaxed. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think as fighters, we, we see things, we recognize things in, in the technique and the tactics and all the things that are going on uh, in the cage, even in, you know the weigh-ins and walking up that a lot of other people maybe not, don't recognize, and we get a chance to translate that. And uh, uh, I think that's what I bring to the table and what I enjoy about being a commentator and talking about the fights. Now, you were able to fight deep into your 40s, and I give you a ton of credit on there. You you became a folk hero, a true legend, a living legend, and it wasn't a novelty act. You were, you were winning big fights at an age where even today in 2019 with advanced diets, science, workouts, all that, guys aren't lasting that long. Looking back, what was the key? Gosh, it's hard to say. Um, I certainly feel fortunate. I think the sport of wrestling and, and, and keeping a real high fitness level through the sport of wrestling allowed me some longevity. I, I was, you know, in my 30s when I started fighting, uh, a lot of the distractions uh, that guys 
get run down with in their 20s and such as fighters, especially when they start making some real money, uh, could be a problem. I, I was pretty settled with who I am, you know, in my 30s and before this whole public lifestyle became a thing. So uh, I feel fortunate to come through in the time that I did and, and feel like I had a, a great run. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. You were uh... – no fear. You took on any challenge at any time, which which fans loved, whether it was, you know, moving back up to heavyweight late in the run. You also had no fear outside the cage. And I think that's what I respect the most, Randy, from the standpoint that you were willing, especially during your run with UFC there, to sort of stand up for your own name financially from the business standpoint and not be afraid of the price that would come for that, whether that was blackballing or whatever. You don't see a lot of fighters even today taking that kind of stand. What was sort of going through your mind in those times where you stood up for the licensing of your own name or, or, or stood up for fighters' rights when, like I mentioned, we don't even see the top stars today doing that? I mean, it's, it, it boils down to right and wrong. And, and, you know, sometimes you just have to be willing to stand up and, and stand up for yourself, stand up for the sport, stand up for fighters that are coming behind me, uh, like my son and others, that shouldn't have to sign those very exclusive, very restrictive uh, contracts and and should be getting a fair shake of, of the proceeds that come in on the cards that they fight on and, and I don't think that's happening and it's going to take more top notch top percent real fighters that are current right now to be willing to step up and use their voice and recognize the power that they have uh, to come together join the fighters fighters association you know let's get the Ali Act amended to give us the same protections that boxers have enjoyed since the 90s uh, that protect them from promoters like Don King and others that were taking advantage of them and forcing them to sign very restrictive contracts too. So, you know, I think we need those same protections. We deserve it. We're putting our butts on the line. And without us, there is no show. So it's hard to get fighters to recognize that sometimes. Yeah, and I think it's, it's funny because the sport's so young, and when we think of the early UFC days, you know, some of, some of your early fights too, we think of the no rules and we say, man, that's just barbaric. Look at that. Look at back in the day. Yet I feel like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, we'll look back at this era and we'll look at the fighter pay, the fighter's rights, and we'll have that same opinion. It's interesting how that hasn't evolved quicker. You know, there's something about being a fighter that makes you this kind of egocentric, in some ways selfish person. You have to be, to be good at what we do. And it's that same thing, that same mentality that, that can be our undoing or downfall. And, you know, we have this attitude like, oh, it'll never happen to me. And, you know, I think educating the fighters has been the biggest challenge. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Randy, still in fantastic shape, still look like you could go today. When was the closest since your retirement in 2011 that you ever came to putting your name back in there? Because we've seen since then Bellator had that run of making, you know, nostalgic old guy fights, if you will. And, and, and they got giant ratings. You saw it. We, you know, Shamrock Gracie three people were popping for it. How close did you come? Well, the phone definitely started ringing when, when uh, Fangle threw his hat back in the ring. Uh, and that was a fight that not only did, you know, I chased for quite a while, but a lot of the fans wanted to see back in the day it was when him and I were in our prime. And uh, it was tempting, but it just honestly, in my 50s, it just didn't make a lot of sense. How have you been able to scratch that itch away when I don't care if it's pro wrestling, boxing, MMA, if there's a chance to come back and hear the cheers or 
maybe more importantly, if there's a chance to come back and cash that check, so many guys are willing to do it one more time. Well, I've been very fortunate in that I started this acting thing about 20 years ago in 1998. And so when I retired from fighting, that became my new purpose, was chasing acting jobs. It's very competitive, you know, trying to move up that ladder and, and get into some of these A-list projects and that whole process of finding ways to emote real things and be genuine and and uh, find a way to tell the truth uh, is, is what this whole process has been about. And, and I'm really intrigued and, and I'm having a blast doing it. Is there any comparison in the nerves between sitting in the locker room, waiting for your, your cage walk, for your name to be called, and having the cameras about to go live on, on a movie set, The Expendables, a big deal where you're like, I can't just be the fighter guy. I got to be an actor here. Is there any comparison in, the, <laughs> in how scared you are in those moments? You know, I don't think there's anything that will ever compare to, to walking out of that tunnel, hearing that crowd, that adrenaline rush uh, of, of being a fighter or being an uh, Olympic wrestler. The, I mean, there's just there's nothing more intense than, than those moments when you're walking out there by yourself for an individual combative sport. And it's all relative from there. You know, I go into auditions and all these places where a lot of people would be freaking out, but heck, nobody's punching me in the face. I think I'm going to be all right. <laughs> That's always a great line to fall back on. It's the truth right there. Uh, when, you, when you're making that walk as a fighter, I'm sure you deal with, with, with fear. Is there a fight that you look back on that, that you had the most fear walking out there? Um, well, I think that first time walking out uh, was overwhelming, and, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to pee my pants and climb the fence and get the hell out of there or, or stay in there and fight. And then, and then it kind of becomes home. It, it becomes a place you had success there. You work hard for that success. You want to be back there and show everybody what you, what you've been working on. So it's all about finding that perspective. No doubt. All right, Randy, before we let you go here, you got to hit us with a story. It's got to be story time with the natural here. You're on the set of many an expendable movie and it's an all-star lineup, not just of action stars, but of testosterone. These are the manliest men of my lifetime here. What goes on when those cameras are turned off? We have a blast, actually. It feels a lot like being on my, on my old high school football team in the locker room, suiting up, telling jokes, poking fun at each other. Uh, and, and just excited for for that opportunity. I think uh, all of us, to a man, were excited to be part of such a great ensemble cast of guys. God, that's got to be some great stories. Any tests of strength back there? Anyone trying to roll with you? <laughs> nope. I think everybody was scared of me. They didn't want any part of that. <laughs> all right. We'll see you back on the microphone Thursday, PFL ESPN 2, 9 p.m. Eastern, kicking off the 2019 season. Kayla Harrison in the main event, $1 million at stake. Randy, it's been a pleasure to talk with you, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. All right, special thanks to Randy Couture. Love going up and down the road with that guy. Brandon, tell me if I'm wrong here. He's the best fighter broadcaster in MMA history. I know that's bold. combination? I know that's bold. No, not combination. I'm saying broadcast, former fighter, broadcast, like color analyst, ex fighter, that whole role, right? Joe Rogan's a little bit separate. I know he did fight some, to a certain degree, but I'm saying of the idea of a retired fighter who got into broadcasting. I know DC's great right now. I, dom- I know Dominic Cruz is making moves, but I always thought Randy Couture did the best work. And when he was the third man in that UFC booth for a hot second there, I loved it.
Randy's good. I, I'm warming up a lot to Dominic Cruz because he never gets like crazy, like, oh my God, this is crazy. He's yeah. always so calm and collected and knows exactly how like the chokes and everything work. So I'm starting to warm to him, but I do agree that Randy Couture does have like a really good persona for that role. I mean, the dude's an action movie star. I mean, come on. <laughs> you've seen, you've been, you've, you've seen the damn expendables. All right. It's PFL 12 this Thursday night, Long Island, New York, Uniondale, uh, the, at the, uh, you know, the damn, uh, Nassau Coliseum. It's going to be an, their first fight on ESPN2. 9 p.m. Eastern is the start. So originally the main event was going to have Lewis Taylor in a welterweight bout against Chris Curtis. But there was a uh, – the New York State Athletic Commission jumped in and pulled Taylor, saying he's not medically cleared. So Kayla Harrison, the the female lightweight, the in some cases the, the face of their organization, the former gold medalist judoka is now in that main event. Originally, however, she was going to fight Svetlana Kautova. She pulled out with undisclosed reasons, so it's Harrison, Larissa Pacheco in the main event. And, of course, on that same card, on the main card, veteran female fighter Sarah Kaufman, who moved all the way up to lightweight for this season for the idea of giving Kayla Harrison a veteran to maybe fight for the championship at the end for the for the $1 million prize. It could be interesting to get there. But uh, I don't hate Harrison in the main event. I mean, she's kind of becoming must-see every time, Brandon. Yeah, I love to watch her fight. She's just a damn animal in there. And to give her a main event slot in their first ESPN version of this tournament, I really like it because it gives you a chance for that crossover appeal that you had with Ronda Rousey when she first started with UFC. So I really like this int- this chance for her to be, like introduce herself to fans as the main event here. And she really should dominate. Like they're putting her in a position here where she should she's supposed to win and win impressively. So the only way that this is bad for her for PFL and for her is if she doesn't look impressive and gets like a weird split decision win. I know we talked to Ray Seffo about it on the show and he was I don't want to say noncommittal to the question, gave a business answer, but it just makes me wonder, Brandon, with PFL surprising us all by getting this ESPN deal, because UFC is is ESPN right now. Like 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 you, it's they're married, they're in bed. It's beyond that. They're, they're, the rings are there. They're, they're for life now. Uh, the idea of is PFL positioning themselves as a feeder league? Because if you're now ESPN and you're going to push the crap out of Kayla Harrison now, and you probably are going to do it on Sports Center too, isn't the end game to get her into UFC and have her fight Cyborg? It's just it's interesting to me. It is, but also from the times that I've talked to Kayla at ATT, like she's not interested in cutting weight. She doesn't want to have to fight at 145 if if she ever does get the call to UFC. So this is why she loves what PFL has done for her and giving her this kind of platform where it's like, yeah, we will make a division for you. We will make a tournament for you at 155 for women because there's no need to make you specifically cut to 145 for no reason when you're doing all these great things at your current weight. You know, so I think that maybe it's a feeder league at some point, but not yet for her specifically, because like I said, she doesn't want to cut to to featherweight. She wants to fight at 155. Ray Cooper, the third will be back against Zane Kamaka on this card. The co-main event will be Magomed, Magomed Karamov against UFC veteran John Howard. Hey, I'm, I'm going to check it out. This is their first one. I'm going to check it out. Uh, really getting into the season seasonal idea. I didn't last year. But everyone had great things to say about it. So I'm going to give it that chance this year. 
to see how it plays out. It's interesting. There's a lot of money at stake in each of these divisions. It's going to be interesting how this plays out. I like the the structure of the setup. We'll see where it goes. But look, we got a loaded weekend. Let's go into that Bellator card. It's Bellator 221, and it takes place. Rosemont, Illinois at the Allstate Arena. We're talking about live and exclusive on the zone, and this main event is a fan friggin tastic one as lightweight champion Michael Chandler gets in there against Patricio Pitbull Friere. Oh man, they're going to bang Brando. They are going to bang. It's about as good as you could do in Bellator, I think, for champion versus champion in terms of just crossover appeal, in terms of actual stylistic fighting. Like these two and on top of the fact that they just hate each other. Hate each like, other. They legitimately hate each other. So this has all the makings of being an incredible night from Illinois. And I don't I don't even know like how to get ready for this fight because it's just going to be a war from the word go. So to recap their history, of course, we know there's the Pitbull brothers. Chandler has fought Patricky Freer Pitbull uh, twice. Once he won by decision. Their rematch in June of 2016 was one of the better knockouts, one-punch knockouts you'll see in all of MMA when Chandler won the vacant lightweight title. Remember when uh, Patricky had that like weird 70s porn mustache and Chandler just sent him to hell with a right hand? Jumped on the cage and celebrating. Well, Patricio took it, took it, you know, not too kindly to that. He thought it was over celebration. Thought he was sort of dancing over his fallen brother. They had words in the cage that night. They've had words ever since. And you remember Chandler's freak injury at Bellator NYC in 2017 when he lost the belt to Brent Primus. He's come back with three straight wins. He's the champion again. This is the time for this fight. You love when there's a little bit of WWE backstory involved. We always know that Patricio is probably the better of the two pit bulls. He bangs. The, oh, God, this is going to be fantastic, man. This is going to be everything I want. It's Patri- Patricio moving up from featherweight where he's been the champion for a while, has won that championship champion a few times. Is he big enough for this fight, though, at lightweight? It's it's worth asking. Uh yeah, I I mean, the size is going to be an issue probably, but you would think that Patricio can make up for that with his speed because he's always been an elusive guy who wants to – he'll stand and trade with you, but he wants to get his spacing and try to get his takedowns. I don't know. I I think that it might be something to keep an eye on, especially like size differences and stuff, but I, I don't know if it's going to be that much of an issue. By the way, would Michael Chandler to you be one of those like great what if stories still? I know we've talked about this in the past, but the fact that he never ended up making the jump to UFC, even though he's like been this champion and been like the golden boy of Bellator for this long. Is he the greatest what if story in U- for UFC ever? No, in terms of what would happen if he went there. Yeah. I mean, that's is that Fedor in many ways? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, but look, it's an interesting angle. He's up there. Um, I never thought he would have translated well because he's – but then again, to be honest, it was the same analysis I would have given you, you on Eddie Alvarez when he first made the UFC jump. I was like, you know what? little bit small, vulnerable, can get hurt easy. Does he really have UFC top 10 ability? Well, Alvarez proved me wrong that he was just a different animal. Maybe Chandler would, but I almost love him at this level. He's fun. He can get hurt. He can win dominantly. 
But yeah, I wonder if he'll ever have like what is he like thirty five now? I wonder if he's ever going to have that that what if on his own right. I mean, he's probably getting great money. He's thirty three now, probably getting sick money to stay on, and he's won that title multiple times. But it, it's a it's a worthy question to wonder how he would have done. I mean, lightweight is killer in the UFC right now. There's really no room for him. But you know, five years ago that wasn't the case. Yeah, it's always been just an interesting thought to me that he. He is the persona of Bellator now, right? Like he's been there forever and he loves it and he loves Scott Coker. But I've always wondered just like if he decided to make that jump to UFC into the biggest pool of sharks there is at white at at white at 155. I just I wonder if he would survive. I wonder where he would fit in 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 those rankings. There's a lot of big, dangerous, violent dudes at 155 in UFC. So. Maybe he made the right choice. So I don't know. We would we would have found out. He would he would have went in uh, guns blazing. We know that for sure. Um, I'm going to predict Ch- Chandler here. I think he's the better fighter. I got questions with Patricio moving up in weight. I love the vitriol between them, but Chandler has is on a roll again, man. He is. You got to give him this credit, Brandon. I mean, he's taken some losses in Bellator. There's been times where we're like, okay, is that one too many wars? And he just sort of rebounds, wins three, four in a row. There's something special about him. Not only in the middle of a fight can he bounce back from hell, but he's been able to sort of right the wrongs. I mean, you remember that three-fight win losing streak when Eddie got him in that insane fight, the, the split decision, and then the back-to-back losses to Will Brooks in those title bouts, second one by stoppage. Man, this guy bounces back. Yeah, I I really hope that he makes it through this fight without another <laughs> freak injury. That would probably be best for him too, but... Yeah, I just think his overall skill is just going to be on display here, and he's going to be able to basically do what he wants against somebody like Patricio because I just don't think Patricio has the full skill set that he's going to need at 155 here. And I'm kind of mad we never got the trilogy and the uh, Chandler-Alvarez rivalry. I know Eddie just got his soul taken in Singapore or wherever, but uh should have signed with Bellator. Mm, probably got more money from one. Do you remember that second one? Good Lord. 2013, the split decision, the one I'm talking about, that Eddie yep. won, that Bellator 106. It's one of the best fights of all time. Be honest with yourself, Brandon. It's up there. That's that's just a sick fight to see two guys that are just constantly hurt, just just bleeding and sweating all over each other. It's a sick fight. Wow. Yes. All right, this co-main event is really why I'm here. This is one of my more anticipated MMA fights of the entire year, and the good part about this Bellator uh, welterweight Grand Prix bracket that. The best have to fight the best if they keep advancing. This matchup is so damn sexy. It's former champ Douglas Lima against MVP Michael Venom Page. And there is a ton of pressure in my mind on MVP shoulders because of that fight against Paul Daly where he did not look great at all. Sort of limped his way to victory in a fight in which neither guy really went for it over five rounds. They were waiting for the other one to take the lead and sort of make a mistake so they can counter. Neither seemed to do that. Doug Lima is on another level, dude. He's an insanely great fighter. He's arguably the most underrated guy in the game, and I mean that across every federation. The guy's fantastic. Took Rory five rounds deep into hell, came up empty, but that was a great-ass fight. I love him in this fight. I'm predicting him in this fight because I think MVP's got to come out and prove to us that on the elite level, he can be wild and crazy MVP and do these, these kind of strikes we never saw coming. You can do that against Caveman Rickles. Can you do it against Doug Lima? He's the guy that's going to chop your legs down and walk you down the whole night. This is a very Israel Adesanya type fight to me for MVP where we were really unimpressed with what he did in his last fight. 
he didn't really show us like, hey, I have that elite level skill that you've been asking for and you've been wanting to see. I think that for MVP, he's going to have to p- bring the fight to Lima as much as Lima's going to try and bring it to him because Lima loves to be in your face, bulldog style fighting. I think MVP's going to have to show us something like that or he's going to have to give us a highlight reel knockout from the outside with his head kicks and with his movement because I I mean obviously he is not a wrestler. We saw a kickboxer wrestle him to the ground in Semtex in his last fight and it was not pretty for most of those 5 rounds. He's going to have to give us one of those crazy moments because I don't see him winning a point fight against Lima. I don't see him outstriking him because it's just going to be so hard for that guy to get anywhere near Lima's head, I think, right? Like, he's going to want to stay on the outside. I just don't know that he's going to be able to get enough power behind those shots to land something that knocks out Douglas. I'm with you on that. I think this is the potential to be a humbling loss for MVP, in which maybe turns it on at times, but Lima is conditioned and ready for a fight like this. I got Lima in by decision, but I think it's going to be a great fight. We're going to see featherweights AJ McKee. Pat Curran in the, in the, on that main card and also Jake Hager, aka Jack Swagger in WWE will be coming back against TJ Jones. We'll see where Jake Hager has developed as a fighter, but it's time to get to the, uh, the main event, if you will. And that's a UFC 237 card from Rio de Janeiro. You know, I love me some women's straw weights. You know, I love me some Rose Nama Yunus. You know, I love the balls of this woman. I, that was weird. I know the guts of this woman, Brandon. To basically say, I know I'm next in line to fight the next challenger, which is Jessica Andrade, who's a killer, but I want to fight her in her backyard. It's like that uncomfortability. Rose has sort of, you know, spelled out, thinks it gives her an edge, thinks it gives her focus, thinks it makes her on her best when she's not comfortable. I respect the hell out of that. Rose is a special fighter who I think maybe had some problems in the beginning of her career with the mental side of it in terms of staying tough. She's with the two wins over Ioana, including that rematch, which is a great fight that not not enough people talk about. She's proven how mentally tough she is, but she's an underdog in this fight, I think, for a reason. Andrade is a killer. I love me this matchup, Brando. What the hell is this thing going to look like? I think this is going to be kind of similar to that second Joanna fight because Jessica's style is bulldog. She wants to bring the fight to you. Kind of like what we were just talking about with Douglas Lima. Andrade's style is I'm going to get in your face. I'm going to pressure you with my hands. But if, if I start to see you covering up with the hands, I'm taking you to the ground and we're just going to, I'm going to out wrestle you basically. I love that style for her, but I also don't know that it works against Rose because Rose is so good at keeping distance. She does not let you get near her because of her length with her legs and with her head kicks and with her movement. So to me, I think Rose is going to be the winner. Like I don't I know you already said that you're kind of worried about her in this fight. I think Rose is able to keep the pace like and she's going to be able to keep distance as well as anybody in this fight because she's just that level of elusiveness now. She's doing a lot better than she did in her in her first few fights with UFC. She's learned so much about what it means to keep distance and why that's effective as a fighter. So uh, to me, I think she's able to keep the distance. She keeps Jessica at bay with her leg kicks, kind of the way that uh, that Valentina Shevchenko is able to keep distance with her with her spacing. I think it's going to be that kind of fight for her where 
it might not look pretty, but it's going to get the job done. You know, Rose has the tools to do that kind of win where you where you Olay against the big bruising slugger and you just outskill her. And her boxing evolution with Trevor Whitman, which you sort of outlined, is very impressive. I mean, I didn't think she had it in her to, to knock out and defeat Ioana in that first fight the way she did with that type of punching and, and the setups and all of that. But here's the thing, dude. Andrade is another level monster and bully at this weight class. And she's somebody who has also evolved steadily. I mean, she's almost a different fighter than she was in that title loss to Ioana. And when she went five rounds, and even though overall, you could say she got she got outclassed. She got her ass kicked. Yet in those moments, she had many moments of rocking Ioana, and she never gave up. But here's the thing about MMA math. You can't just be like, well, Rose beat Ioana twice, and Ioana beat Andrade, so Rose is going to beat Andrade because styles make fights as we know, and there's something vulnerable about Rose for as great as she is, that she's holding it together, as as all champions are in MMA because it's such a dangerous sport, but that she's holding it together by a string sometimes, and that the technical brilliance is there, and that she's turned around her mental strength and all that. But Andrade is a finisher. And the more I see this matchup playing out, Andrade is not going to stop coming forward. And Rose can go five hard rounds with Ioana and win it, but Ioana's not a puncher. That's the thing. There's no power there on that level. I think Andrade is just going to end up finding her. She's not going to get frustrated should she lose a technical battle for a few rounds. And the fact that they're doing it in her backyard of Brazil, you got to respect what Rose is doing, but I can't help but think she's walking herself into a trap and walking herself into a corner. And you need extra to find out about this revisit Andrade's knockout of Carolina. I know just Rose. Okay, I want to say I know Rose is a better fighter than Carolina. Also, Rose lost to Carolina at UFC 201. But I'm just saying it was as explosive a female knockout on the elite level as we've ever seen before. Can you believe Andrade used to be a bantamweight? Damn. And she and she's handled a few top-level women at that weight. She's reinvented herself. This is her moment. I think she's going to knock her out. And I hate saying that because I'm a Rose super fan underneath this. I'm Thug Rose for life. But that's the truth here, Brandon. And that's why I love this matchup. I think it's going to be a tightrope walk. If she does get it done with, with, with technique, it's going to be a scary path in getting there. Yeah, give me – I'm going to take Joanna, uh, Joanna. I'm going to take Rose by decision here. I just think, like I said, she's going to be able to piece together enough strikes and enough damage to, to get the judges' scorecards in her favor. My only worry is that this fight ends up being like the Nami, the Nunez-Pennington fight where most of the fans leave before the main event starts. Oh, I really that. hope that doesn't happen Well, again. the reason why they would is because they put every aging wash, quasi-wash, maybe <laughs> wash, almost wash Brazilian legend on this card. It could be the narrative could be the end of a lot of famous careers here in Rio. We'll find out. We'll start with that middleweight co-main event when Jared Cannonier takes on Anderson Silva. I've told you how much I hate this matchup because I think unless Silva announced this fight as his retirement, and look, for all we know, for as much as he says he wants to fight six, seven, eight more times, maybe he's planning on this being his go-away win or lose. Or maybe he's saying to himself, if I lose, this would be my go-away because I'm doing it in Rio. I can't speak for him. I don't know. But if he's not planning on retiring, I hate this fight. It does nothing for Anderson. He's in legend mode. You just gave him a chance to fight for a title, and I don't hate that they did that. He lost. He poured one out. He gave you everything he had left. Unless you're giving him celebrity fights, unless he's fighting GSP, I don't want it, Brandon. I don't want it. I know Jared Cannonier is not a killer, but what do, what do we gain here? This is like the Brunson fight all over again. Wait, did you just say Jared Cannonier is not a killer? How dare you? 
He's the killer gorilla. <laughs> anyway, I feel like to me this is one of those fights. This is something where Anderson probably knows this is it. He's not saying it's retirement fight because he doesn't want people. To, he doesn't want UFC to like think that he's done or whatever and and give him a softer matchup. But I feel like Anderson probably knows at this point this is it. This is my last chance on the elite level to fight somebody of note who's rising in the middleweight rankings, who might be somebody that's a future title contender. But this is probably it. And it's in Brazil. It's pretty close to his hometown. This is his going away party. To me, anyway. I, in my mind, this is his going away party. So does he have one more miracle in him? I don't know. I don't think so. But I think if there was ever a time for him to pull out one more of those, this is the spider inject me with some TRT moments. <laughs> this is it. You know, I don't know. I feel like he, because he looked so good against Adesanya and actually to this day, I'm telling you to this day, I'm telling you, he tamed Adesanya. He got Adesanya worried about ending up on a highlight reel that he poured out everything he had left. And I can't see him getting up for this fight on that same level. I feel like we're destined for a Silva decision loss where he just doesn't do enough. Now, look, I, I said Cannoneer's not a killer. I know he's coming off a beautiful knockout of David Branch, which he looked good. Had two losses before that. He's 35. He's been largely feast or famine in his career. This isn't like Silva's going to pass the torch to anybody. I just can't see Silva. I mean, when we saw this same fight, basically, when it was Silva against David Branch a few years ago in Brooklyn, I'm sorry, not David Branch, against uh, Derek Brunson, it was. I think you're going to see the same effort. I know Silva got the decision in that fight, which I didn't think he deserved. It deserved. I think this is going to be one of those where okay, Silva doesn't get knocked out, but he gets outworked and he loses by decision. Yeah, I. My hope is just that he doesn't go out cold in his last fight. That's my no happy the best case in, in combat sports. All right, you already know this. You already know this, Brandon. All right, we are also going to have Jose Aldo against Alexander Volkanovsky in one hell of a featherweight fight. Here's the crazy part. Aldo's got one more fight on his deal after this. Wants to do it in Brazil. Wants to do it for a UFC title. Odds are probably against UFC sort of rewarding him with the opportunity because they don't want another person to win a title and then give it up. But... This is not an easy matchup. I mean, Volkanovski is sort of the next guy that could have next at featherweight. If he wins this, what do you do? Does he get a Volkanov- title shot? Volkanovski? No, jo- jo- Jose Aldo. I mean, what do you do? This is a tough re- matchup, man. This is a tough matchup. I mean, at this point, I want to see him against Frankie Edgar maybe again. Like, if he wins this fight. Because I don't know what else you'd do with him. Brian Ortega's already saying now that he wants a rematch with with Max, which they might do. Do we need a third Max and Jose fight? Like, ugh. I want to see, but seriously, I want to see how this looks. I, because Volkanovski has been one of those like kind of underground guys who came back and he got that huge win over Chad Mendez, kind of announcing himself to the world with his incredible display. If he's able to go into Brazil and beat up Jose Jose Aldo like this. There's no denying him that he deserves a title chance. Yeah, yeah, you, you nailed it right there. And uh, unlike Anderson Silva, right, who's like 43, I mean, Aldo's only 32, but he's on a, a really nice run there with the knockout of Jeremy Stevens and then that vicious performance against Hanato Moicano, where we, we we certainly have to take him serious again, even with his talk of retirement and the fact that he has this exit plan. But, yeah, we're going to find out whether Volkanovski's a killer or – 
he sort of peaked with that win over Mendez. It's going to be fun to find out. I'm just very intrigued at what UFC will deem as a proper going away party for Aldo, who still can fight for a world title. Would they give him Ortega for the chance to? Would they do one more? Would they give him a quick comeback against Ortega and then say, okay, but you got to fight again for the title? It doesn't seem that that would make any sense. So even I Edgar, I mean, he beat fight, Edgar twice, and he beat Edgar at UFC 200 dominantly over five rounds. So I just don't know what the right end game here is. I would love that fight, though. Jose Aldo against Brian Ortega. All right, sign me up. It's a great fight. How about Aldo against uh, against Connor on the way out? I still don't hate that idea. See, I w- we've talked about that for a while. I would love that fight. That's That still seems to be like unfinished business, but I don't know that they'll ever do it. Now, who's going to win this fight, though? It's a hell of a fight. I'm riding with Volkanovski, but I have very little confidence in it. Like, I think Volkanovski's got the skill and he's the younger guy here where he can keep the pace better. But man, to see Jose Aldo win this fight in Brazil and then just leap the fence into the crowd and never return again would be just so awesome. I feel like he deserves um, a really perfect send-off since he's trying to control his own narrative and how he leaves. And I think him never getting that immediate rematch against Connor was was kind of bunk. So I feel like he's going to get there, Brandon. I think he's going to beat Volkanovski. I think he's with the, the crowd is going to fuel him. We're going to see one more vintage performance, and then we're going to see what happens, how they're going to match him. But I like him. Some, it's more of a feeling than a matchup situation, but I like him right now. I like Scarface in this fight. I hope, I hope you're right. I hope you're right, but I'm going to pick Volkanovski. Well, that's your boy. you got to stay on brand. Um, Tiago Alves could also see the end for all we know against Loriano Staropoli. Uh, Alves, 35, feels like he's been fighting for 30 years. Um, coming off of that split decision win over Max Payne Griffin, has lost a lot lately. Yikes. Yeah, this if this is not a retirement fight, I don't know what is. That's all I can really say about this. What else do you care about on this fight? I mean, we got we got Little Nog in the ESPN preliminary card main event against Ryan Spann. I guess that could be a going away party. We got friggin' BJ Penn against Clay Guida, which is one of those. Oh yeah, no, no. Well, maybe <laughs> no, 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 no. It's like I don't know what to do with that fight. It's like it's like weird adult movies. You're like, okay, no, no, no. Outside of the top three fights that we just talked about, that basically describes this whole card perfectly. <laughs> yeah, you got you got some you betcha Kohea back on against Irene Aldana. This is uh yeah. All right. That's it. Hey, we're gonna get through it though together. We're gonna get through it together. That's yes, all I know. Yes, we will. Um loaded MMA weekend though. I'm excited about it. I can't wait. I hope BJ Penn does not get sent to hell. But that that <laughs> chapter does have to end, meaning his career. I don't know what we're doing there. Brandon, MMA's fine. We're fine, okay? The sport's fine. We're looking good. It's going to be a big summer. Bellator's back this weekend. Enjoy that all. Stay in the gym. You're looking pretty jacked right now. Stay in the gym because I'm coming for you, all right? Thanks, buddy. I wish I could say the same about you. All right. Follow us at State of Combat. Five-star review. I got to go to the restroom. We are out. We are out.